today's message text is Hebrews 4, 1 through 5. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. You may be seated. Good morning. Thank you, Trevor, for reading the scriptures this morning. Great cause for rejoicing when you read names like Dan, Gad, you know. It's good to see how our God cares for the individuals that are existing in his people, and uh, he's concerned about each and every one of us as his people as well, taking note of that. So we're continuing our study of this book of Hebrews. It's a letter written many, many years ago, uh, incredibly relevant to our lives, and yet very much a uh, testimony of the significance of the connection that we as the people of God in the new covenant have with the people of God in the old. We see so much of the continuity that is being brought through here and uh, it's helpful for us to just tap into our history, the history that is now ours through Jesus Christ. We are no longer strangers to the covenants and promises. We have been brought into that. The history of Israel is our history. We should love it. We should appreciate it. God has been good to us to bring us into his family. So this morning, as the text was read, I'm sure that you uh, uh, heard those words as the call to worship that Chris gave was focused on the rest that God gives us in Christ. Rest sounds really good. And rest is good. Rest is a wonderful thing. And this morning, as we're looking at this text, we, we're going to try to understand what God means for us. And we're going to be looking at this over the next several weeks because we're going to be talking about this rest. We're going to be talking about the Sabbath rest that we enter as the people of God, the rest of God that is ours. But we'll also see in this passage today, verses 1 through 5, the significance of not only rest, but trust. How trust is absolutely connected to the rest that 
we have in God. When we say rest, and when we understand that from a biblical concept, I, I think the question is asked, what does that mean? And I think we like rest because we think, man, if you have rest, then there's no stress. But that is not really what happens scripturally. The rest that we have in Christ, there's a sense in which we're at peace and we're abiding and we're sustained by God's goodness and His power. But we are, we're empowered to face much in the way of stress. We're empowered to face affliction and challenge and difficulty. Rest is not the ability to sit back with just passivity and uh, just coast. I think if we're thinking, man, I, will, I like the idea of rest because I can coast. That's not what God has for us. See, what happens many times in our lives is we, we do coast. And we try to get through as easily as we possibly can, and we, we make exceptions to what God wants and how He has for us to live. And then all of a sudden, the difficulties and struggles of our poor choices and poor decisions surface. We're faced with dilemmas, and we're faced with hardship, and we're faced with challenges. We can't avoid it. Stress and strain in life is unavoidable. Agreed? The question that we have to answer is, are we going with God, or are we going on our own? Are we going to go with God through the stress and strain and struggles and difficulties? Or are we just man enough to handle it ourselves? And I, I assure you, there's no one here who's man enough to do this on your own. So hopefully, as we talk about rest and trust, we're going to hear some things that will help us to understand what it means to enter God's rest. Hebrews 4 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Entering God's rest is a corporate concern. When I say corporate concern, that means it includes more than just you individually. It means all of us collectively as God's people. It means all of us as a church, and specifically, uh, we want to, want to understand what this means for us as a local church. As a local congregation, this entering of God's rest has to be all of our concern. Not just entering it individually. Not just each of our lives being there. Which There's, there's a sense in which you can't avoid the individual, but it must take on this sense of the assembly of God's people. And we have to recognize that our responsibility is tied to one another in that way. You're, you're not on your own. And you're not to do your own thing. 
this used to be a real challenging thing in America because America was characterized years ago with this attitude of rugged individualism. Now everything's groupthink and everybody's associated with some kind of designated people. And, and so there's more of this concept of identifying with folks. But see, when you come to the church, you've got all kinds of different people. United by the grace of God in Christ, we're not all the same. We're not all made the same. We don't all look the same. We don't all talk the same. We don't all feel the same. And yet we're God's people. And he wants us to come together and take genuine concern for one another. We need to be concerned about one another entering into God's rest. The writer of Hebrews at this point, up to this time, he has been quoting from Psalm 95. He's done it repeatedly. He did it in chapter 3 and he's going to do it again in chapter 4. Psalm 95 warns the people during the time of King David not to be complainers or hesitant to obey. And the two events reference are part of Israel's history as a nation. Exodus chapter 17, although delivered from captivity in Egypt and fed by quail because they craved meat, the people of Israel complain that they're now in the wilderness and they're without water. I know it's shocking, right? God, God hears their prayers and delivers them and takes them out of Egypt and does all these amazing, incredible, wonderful things. If you read Deuteronomy, it's just like the first chapter, is, he's, he's talking about these people came out of Egypt and they, God did all this stuff. And he is with them as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud of shade and rest during the day. And it's like, and they are so insensitive to the presence of God that they can't keep themselves from complaining and grumbling. Hmm. Must be that grumbling and complaining are a unique part of Israel because, man, they do it a lot. I think grumbling and complaining is a problem for all of us. I think we all struggle with this. They complained. They see all these things happen. God's taken care of them. Now they're thirsty. They need water. They did need water. But they questioned God. They didn't like the discomfort. They didn't like the thirst. Then the other situation is Numbers 14. God sends... 12 spies from each representative of the 12 tribes of Israel into the land to look it over, to see what it looks like, to see this land that God said is flowing with milk and honey, and to come back and bring a report. And they brought some back of the the goods of the land. And I mean, it's it's just as God said. It's truly a land flowing with milk and honey. But they got fortified cities. And they got huge honking people. They're enormous. And we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we realized there is no way we can do this.
They were foolish to think anything at any time that could be done by their own strength and their own power. Caleb and Joshua sitting there hearing all this stuff. They're freaking out. What do you mean? We can't do this. Of course we can't do this, but God says we can do this. In both circumstances, the people rebel against God. They put him to the test, and they find him wanting. It's a, it's a concern. Anytime we in our lives find ourselves experiencing things that are difficult, they're difficulties, they're, they're unsettling things, they're stresses and strains in life, and, and we, we say, man, God, why are you doing this? And you put him to the test. Why are you doing this to me? I can't take any more. we put this attitude before God and say, I, I weigh you in the balances and I find you wanting. That's what it means when we test God. We don't like to be that strong and direct about it. We just like to pout, act like children. But it doesn't make any difference. We're challenging God. The scriptural truths that apply to the people of God who were blessed by the Exodus, as this psalm is inspired by God to be written by David as he reflects on that event, you see it also applies to the people of God who are blessed in the kingdom through King David's reign. We go all the way back from the history of Israel, all the wilderness wanderings and all the stuff that took place during that time and getting ready to enter the land and all the stuff that had to happen as people had to wander for 40 years and that generation had to die off. And then we take that truth and we go right up to King David's time and we're saying that truth, they need to enter the rest, still applied in King David's time. And now the writer of Hebrews is quoting this. And guess what? Now it applies into the time of the people that are reading this letter Hebrews. Isn't that amazing? And guess what? It still applies to you and me. The promise of entering his rest still applies to you and to me. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. So these same truths now applied to the ethnic Jews who believed in the new covenant gospel grace of Jesus Christ. And it applies to us as well. You see, the offer of freedom from slavery to sin is offered to all who will trust and obey Jesus as Savior and Lord. You're, we're, all in, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. We are absolutely enslaved to our sin and our sinfulness. There is no freedom in us. There's only one free being in this entire universe, and that is Almighty God. And in this, we find ourselves dead and entrenched and, and powerless to do anything. And God, in His mercy, gives us the message of gospel hope through Jesus Christ. There's hope for sinners like us. 
Jesus became the sin bearer so that the penalty for our sin could be paid and we could be free. We could be absolutely set free from the bondage of our sin. We can trust him as our savior. We can abide in him as our Lord. We can live for him in that way and know that we're at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we enter this rest that Jesus offers and we experience the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. Jesus made this statement in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me. Jesus makes this invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus offers us that rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We have received this rest. Jesus is our rest. All the weights, all the sin, all the selfishness, all the lies, all the stupidity. Christ pays for And we can enter into that rest. Accepting the rule and reign of King Jesus brings those who walk in the will and ways of the Lord into opposition with the people of this world who serve a different master. That should not surprise us. If you're going to enter into the rest of Jesus, you're going to trust Him as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be committed to walking in His truth and righteousness then that's going to bring you in direct opposition to everything that this world teaches and practices. So it's peace with God, but it ain't peace with the world. We read in Romans 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? Like everybody in the world? Yeah, but see, we, the point being is that even in the opposition, even in the difficulties, even in all that we have to come to face, they will not be victorious. They will not rob us of our rest in God. They cannot rob us of that peace that we know. And how do we know? How do we know that we're at rest in God? Well, according to what this writer of Hebrews puts forward, perseverance is it. You see, the reality that people enter God's rest is confirmed by the grace of perseverance. When you truly acknowledge that Jesus is your Savior from your sin, 
your damnation that you've justly deserved before a righteous and holy God, when you realize that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, and when you trust Him as your Lord, the ruling reign and king, He is sovereign. He has absolute authority over your life. He has absolute authority over His world. But you come and submit to that reality. You're going to walk in His ways. And when you do that, you bring on the opposition of the world system and the worldly ways that are still perishing even in our own hearts at times. And we're fighting that. And how do we know that my salvation and my submission to Jesus as Lord is real? It's because God continues to keep me pressing forward and I don't throw up the white flag and say, I'm done. I quit. This is too much. We persevere. We don't quit. Now, for some of you, I want you to understand that there's this reality. You might whine occasionally. But the overall characteristic of your life must be one of pressing on. If you're a constant whiner, you have much to be concerned about. That's grumbling and complaining. That's telling God he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to work in your life. And God doesn't take that kind of stuff lightly. You see, perseverance is made evident by their obeying and honoring Jesus Christ in all aspects of life throughout their lives even while they're experiencing suffering and affliction. Praise be to God, the true people of God persevere. He carries us through. I'm not sitting here trying to tell you and I, we, gotta, we just got to buckle down and be individually determined we're going to make it. No, we trust God. We abide in Him and the grace that He supplies. And when we feel weak, we look to Him for strength. And when we feel wavering, we look to Him for stability. Hebrews 3.14, we just looked at this. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Firm to the end. The rest we enter is God's. And we're invited to reap the benefit of it in life and eternity. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands. Whose rest is this? It's God's rest. And we enter it. We enter his rest. The promise of the benefits of God's rest still stands because defiance and apostasy have not yet occurred. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. 
He's writing to these Hebrew Christians, these Jew, ethnically Jewish people. That they're not better than Gentile people of God. They're Jewish because the church is primarily Jewish, ethnically. It's not they're better because they are Jews. They've been brought into the people of God by faith, and they, together with Gentiles who are not part of this, not a very large part of this congregation, these ethnic Jews have found themselves in this relationship with Christ, and they've heard the message, they've trusted the message, and as he's writing this, there are people in this church that even though the pressures have built and the Jewish community, the Judaism around them has brought much in the way of pressure and difficulty, they haven't thrown up the white flag totally and walked away. But some of them are thinking about it. Some of them are thinking about it. Just like some of you right now, you think about it. Is it really worth it? Is, I mean, you know, should I continue faithful? I, you, know, why, you know, why don't I just become that Christian incognito? Nobody needs to know. It'll keep peace in the family. It'll keep peace in the workplace. I'll just, you know, just Jesus and me wrong this is an offense and i think we as the church in america are responsible for this because we so emphasize this nonsense of your personal relationship with jesus that we've lost the whole concept of what it means to be a covenant community of faith in christ and that's shameful we like going it on our own until we don't like going it on our own But may I say to you, unbelief, departure, apostasy, those are serious threats. And they weren't just serious threats back in that day. They're serious threats today. When you actually look at your life and you go, you know what, I don't know walking with Jesus is that big a thing. I'd just rather do it. Man, you walk with Jesus, it's hard. Yes, it is. And I'm sitting here, if you're thinking that and you're wavering in that, this letter, this truth is for you. Wake up. Don't do it. Hang in there. We need to keep pressing on. It's worth it to walk with Christ. That's why he goes on, he says, let us fear, lest there be in, in lest any of you should seem to have failed to have reached once again, we see the writer of Hebrews call the people of God in this local church to action. Let us, let us fear. Fear who? God. We are to corporately fear God. Lest any should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us fear. This is absolutely the teaching that we are our brother's keeper. You remember Cain? After he kills Abel, and God calls him out, he says, where's Abel? What's his statement? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, let me just say to you, child of God, 
you are absolutely responsible to be concerned for your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is to be an important thing. And making sure that we all work together to stay focused on Christ, acknowledging we're in this rest together, that needs to characterize our heart. James chapter 5, verse 20 makes this statement. And let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That should be our passion. I want to restore any wandering brothers and sisters in Christ back to Christ. I want to, I want to challenge them. Don't go that way. Don't give up this rest. Don't give up this peace. Keep pressing on. Why? Because you've saved their soul from death. You say, well, are we eternally secure or aren't we? Yes, we are. Can we lose our genuine salvation? No, you can't. But you can't piecemeal it apart and tear it down and say that our responsibility is part of what God uses to keep us faithful. The church is necessary to maintain perseverance. You're not meant to go it alone. You're not designed to go it alone. You need the truth of God and you need the people of God. It's a hard thing sometimes. It's a challenging thing sometimes. You see, we're to fear God because the wavering, complaining, and disobedience of other people in the church sets them at odds with the Lord. And when those people are set at odds with the truth and the righteousness, it impacts the church. It hurts us it's it's difficult we need to recognize how we live is important and it should be important to every one of us we should care about one another in this way those who compromise obeying the truth to satisfy the desires and expectations of others fail to reach god's rest underline that put that in your notes in bold star it whatever get this point those who compromise obeying the truth to satisfy the desires and expectations of others fail to reach god's rest solid biblical principle applies to a lot of life Those who compromise obeying the truth to satisfy the desires and expectations of others fail to reach God's rest. That should be a concern to every one of us. That should be concerning to each and every one of us. You see, that meant that Ethnically Jewish Christians trying to gain the acceptance of Jews practicing Judaism, that is wrong. That's what the writer of Hebrews is addressing. 
specifically. These Jews should not give in. These ethnic Jews who've become Christians should not give way to the pressures and try to say, man, well, maybe if we compromise a little bit, maybe they'll be open and it won't be so hard and we won't experience so much difficulty. We won't, we won't be looked down upon. Who likes to be looked down upon, right? Right? But does this principle go beyond that? Does it go beyond applying just to Judaism? I believe it does. This applies to any of us softening the teaching of Jesus in Scripture and attempt to win the favor of the woke or the LGBT plus Q whatever crowds. Our country is rife with this kind of garbage. Sad to say, the church is too. Because, well, we don't want to offend. If we don't let them know that, that we're okay with them, then we might not be able to share the gospel with them. They aren't going to be warmed into the gospel. The law must condemn sin so sinners seek a savior. We can't buff this up, make it look polished and presentable to unregenerate eyes who live in fist-closed defiance of Almighty God. Stop it. It needs to stop. It needs to stop right here. We need to stop this. We need to take a stand on truth and righteousness. We're not going to soften this. You say, well, does, is that, does it apply elsewhere? Yeah, it does apply elsewhere. It applies anytime you compromise the message of truth and standing and walking in truth and righteousness in Jesus because you don't want to make somebody upset. Well, you just never know how they might react. They might get mad. <laughs> and more to the point, they might make my life miserable. They, they might make me uncomfortable. And I might, then I might have to change my thinking. I might have to change my schedule. I might have to change so much stuff that are the idols of my life, by the way. I better stop there, right? Because that's getting kind of preachy and convicting. Yeah. Folks, we can't soften this message. It's King Jesus, and he rules. If he's our Savior, he's got to be our Lord. He is sovereign, supreme over everything. In the face of hateful and hostile enemies of the gospel, unity on essential matters must be a priority. You know, there are going to be things that we're going to have some differences of opinion on. I don't know, I mean, I try to keep abreast of some of the stuff that's going on in our country right now. And I, God, is, God is bringing down judgment, big time. And I think the lines of demarcation are being set. And I think we need to keep the main thing the main thing.
I'm very opinionated. I know that's surprising. But I have opinions about just about everything. And I have to keep my mind focused on what's important, what's necessary, what's critical, what's essential. Those are the things we need to be focusing on as it, as it relates to trying to advance the cause of Christ in our nation. Because we're going to have to recognize we're not in this alone. We're going to have to unite with other Christians and other people and churches that are trying to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ because we're going to have to be united to move this forward. And we can't be united as a church if we're not concerned about one another. We can't help the cause of Christ if we're not even willing to help one another. Does that make sense? Enough navel-gazing in your individual walk with Jesus and open your eyes to the needs and the concerns of the people around you. And no, they don't need a finger-wagging lecture. What they need is brothers and sisters of Christ that come alongside and say, come on, man, we got a war to win. We got to get in this battle. We can't be sidetracked with this nonsense. Let's get focused. Let's get going. Stop whining. <laughs> yeah, the next time you're out to coffee with your dear brothers and sisters in Christ and they're, well, you know, it's just been really hard. Just go, you know what? Stop whining. Let's win. Right? We say, well, that'd be really insensitive. <laughs> well, let's try it and see if it works. Because I guarantee you, coddling this nonsense isn't doing anything. Is it? Not a bit. Hey, you know, all of us need to be smacked upside the head occasionally. If you want to get right down to it. We, we become distracted. We become insensitive. We, we get all wrapped up in our own feelings and emotions and distort the truth. And somebody needs to wake us up. Little, well, no, never mind. I was going to. I'll date myself anyway. You know, the old men in aftershave commercials? Sometimes you just need a cold slap in the face, right? Sometimes we do, don't we? Let's just get our focus. What are we here for? Why are we here? What's our purpose? We're at war, folks. When you're at war, you don't need a bunch of whining cowards. Compromise is cowardice. And we should all be fearful of God's judgment for those who are so compromised. All that to say, entering God's rest is a corporate concern. It's supposed to be concerned. We're all to be concerned about this. Entering God's rest is the fruit of faith. Verse 2, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The message of good news came to the wilderness generation and the recipients of this letter. The wilderness generation of the Israelites. The good news was God's provided you deliverance. He's, he has taken you out of Egypt in amazing and miraculous ways. Isn't that amazing? And he has provided for you a promised land. Just got to go in and take it. 
go in and t- take it. Uh, the fortified cities, the, the uh, giants, and I mean, wow, it's, that looks hostile. Yeah. You and I sit and we find ourselves in our world right now and we look around us and we go, we just need to be concerned about ourselves because this world is so evil, so bad. I mean, there are giants in the land. We can't do this. God said he'll take one of us and put 10 to flight. He'll take 10 of us and send 1,000 to flight. He'll take 1,000 and put 10,000 to flight. God is in control and can move his people and his cause forward. And we need to trust him to do that. Hearing the good news of God's provision did not benefit the wilderness generation. The good news must be trusted to benefit its hearers. It must be trusted. They did not unite this promise with faith. They didn't believe God. They didn't believe, they didn't trust God. You see, it's trust that leads to transformation. true disciple of Christ, biblically described in the New Testament, one who must comprehend the gospel, one who must be transformed by the gospel, and then takes the offensive to communicate the gospel. You see, trust brings transformation. When you believe the truth and you line up under it, it's going to change your life. The writer of Hebrews emphasizes the fact that the people didn't unite with faith in God with Caleb and Joshua. For, verse 2, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Who were those who listened? Joshua and Caleb, who came out as spies from that land, and when these people are going, we can't do this, they go, oh yes, we can. By God, we're going to trust God, we're going to do this. And they're going, no, 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 no. Too big, too bad. I ain't happening. See, they didn't unite with faith with those who trusted God, who entered the land. Joshua and Caleb. What about the rest that took issue? Dead in the desert. Forty years they marched in the desert. Was God trying to make a point? I think so. Are we listening to that point? You say, are you trying to say that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New? (laughs) Wake up! Absolutely. He's the Lord. He does not change. See, Caleb and Joshua eventually entered the land because they heard and they believed, which is evidenced by standing up to the opposition of the Jewish community. The community said, they're big, they're bad, we can't do this. 
Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. They stood up. They said, we have a God who will empower us to take us forward. What are you going to say? Well, well, there's safety in being cloistered. No, we must advance. This is what God has called us to do. Verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. How do we enter the Lord's rest? See, some of this stuff is kind of confusing because it looks like, well, what is, what is he meaning here? For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Contrast comparison. You stand against God's will and ways and his people, you are condemned. You will not enter his rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So how do, how do we enter the Lord's rest? It is, again, notice, the Lord's rest. And he enables us to enter his rest by giving us the faith to trust his promises. He is going to equip you and I with faith to trust the promises that he gives to us. Those walking consistently in unbelief and disobedience show they have not entered God's rest. Some are brought into his rest while others never enter his rest. It's not that they didn't hear the good news. If they hear the good news, that means they were around the good news or to be heard. And it might be they're hearing this good news regularly. Kind of like some of you sitting in these seats. You hear it regularly. But it doesn't mean you're okay. Just because you hear this, just because your mind says, yeah, I think that's probably true. Doesn't mean you've entered the rest. God completes his work and he brings some into his rest. And thanks be to God, he's been doing this from the beginning. The rest God supplies is that of coming under the awareness of his, and submission to his absolute sovereignty. He is in control. The work is accomplished completely by God, and he brings his people into it. Listen to Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 11. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet not done. Saying, my counsel will stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east 
the man of my counsel from a far country. What's he trying to say? God has the ability to call a bird to do what he wants, and he will call men and women to do what he wants. He's totally sovereign. It's his purpose he's fulfilling on earth, not yours and mine. His purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's what it means to enter the rest of God. You come and you submit under his sovereign hand of authority. You trust him to accomplish everything. You abide in him faithfully because he is your God. God's rest is his sovereign power to do all that he wills. Get, get this one. Let me just, you can underline this one too and start too. It's the next point on your slide. God doesn't try to save people. God doesn't try to save people. God saves people. He saves everyone he's determined to save. God is not in the business of saying, well, I'll try to save you. Will you cooperate with me, please? No, it's not the way it works. God saves whom he will save. That means he works through his truth to expose sin and selfishness in people. By his sovereign plan and his sovereign purpose, he exposes in the hearts of men and women that waywardness, that sinfulness, that act of fist-shaking defiance that says, I'll do it my way. And God says, and you'll die in your sin. Well, I don't want that. Now the Spirit of God begins to bring enlightenment. See, you are condemned in your sin. And it is the grace of Almighty God that will lead you out of that. And only the grace of God that will lead you out of that. You see, when he actually saves us, we enter his rest and we enjoy his work. For he has spoken somewhere of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. You see, the writer of Hebrews refers to this passage in Genesis 2 and verse 2. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day. When the word somewhere is not a confession of the absence of the writer's ability to recall. The word somewhere is definitive, and it's quoted directly from Genesis. Genesis 2 and verse 2, it says, And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. God does not rest because He's tired and needs a vacation. God rests because his lasting work is completed. He set this, all thi this whole thing in motion and his purpose is being fulfilled. Even in the defiant things that are happening today, God's purpose is being accomplished. Do we believe that God's advancing his cause? Well, then we should act like it. We should believe it. And we should move forward with him in lockstep with one another to advance his cause. 
Not entering God's rest is disastrous. And again, in the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. So the writer again returns to this passage of Psalm 95. By way of stressing the significance of their decision, he knows that they are deliberating whether or not they will keep pressing on. The Israelites in the wilderness with unbelief and disobedience determined that going into the promised land would be too daunting and too demanding. The faithless decide disobeying God is better than trusting God for victory over their enemies. This is the fool's way. It's too hard. The enemies are too big. And so I would rather not put myself in jeopardy to do that. I would rather challenge the almighty sovereign God of the world. In what mind does that make sense? Only in the mind of the disobedient. They determined their enemies were superior to them and their abilities. Instead, they chose to defy God, all the all-powerful creator. May I say, no trust means no rest. The result was death in the wilderness instead of life in the promised land. By application, our failure to believe and obey, sanctification and the advancing of the gospel, that's what obedience will bring, isn't it? Sanctification and advancing the gospel means that we've determined not to enter the rest of God. The ultimate result is eternal death and separation from God because of unbelief and disobedience. What's the point here? Folks, if we've entered the rest of God, we're submitting to the sovereign hand of God. We're trusting His power. We believe He has the ability to do all that He has promised. And we will walk in line with that and we will live our days in submission and surrender to Him. And we will advance His cause because it is His cause. And if not, you shall not enter His rest. You've made the decision. So today, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if God so speaks to your heart by the power of his truth and by the presence of his spirit, and he points out your waywardness and your wandering, and you say, I don't want it this way. I need God. I want to submit to his sovereign control and power. I can't do this myself. I need him. Come to faith in Christ. Trust him. Believe him. Confess your sin. Confess your selfishness. Do what God has asked you to do. And we are here to observe communion as his church, as his people. This table is for the people of God. Those who've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those who have put their trust in Jesus and his power as the delivering Savior and as the Lord of glory who sits enthroned reigning over his world. Our lives included, but not separated. His authority is all-encompassing. 
He's advancing his cause. We are to acknowledge Jesus is my Savior, deliverer of my sin. He's the reigning Lord of glory, and he empowers us to advance his cause. He can give you the ability to have victory over your sinfulness and selfishness. Praise be to God. Do you want to be encouraged in that? Strengthened in that? That's why we come to the table of the Lord. That's why we receive this bread, because we remember Jesus is at work. He is doing this. I'm remembering Jesus. That's why we drink that cup, because we remember he paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. And brothers and sisters in Christ, he is with us. This represents his presence with us. You're not alone. We have a Lord and a Savior who goes with us as his church. Do we have a responsibility to help people enter this rest? Yes. You need to remember Christ and your responsibility as a child of God to encourage your brothers and sisters, the wayward, the wandering. Come on, stop whining, right? Jesus is with us. Let's go. Let's advance his cause. You said that the giants are huge and the cities are fortified. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Let us trust him to do great and mighty things. If the men will come forward, we'll prepare to distribute these elements. The questions to consider are on the slide deck and you can get those for your small groups and your family discussions.